I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we'll read verses 10 through 13 in just a moment. As you're turning there, I want to say that I'm so thankful for you. When Matt Rogers came on our staff several years ago, with the purpose of being there for a season and then sending him off, we were thinking maybe four or five years, but after the first year, we knew we had to unleash that guy. God had gifted him and called him to preach the word, to teach the word. And so we made quick provisions for just to unleash him where he could spend time building his team, raising money, and to be able to be launched out and start a church here in Greenville. And so we were able to do that. Didn't have to look over his shoulder. Knew that he would do it with excellence. He would do it biblically, and he would do it for the glory of God. And so Matt Rogers is a great encouragement to me and the staff at Cross Point Church. And I know he is to you. I'm thankful for him. I love him and his family. And uh, so proud of him in the Lord. In fact, a few weeks ago, he went and spoke, getting his Ph.D., he spoke and taught about evangelism up at Black Mountain where we had a lot of our G-linkers from here and other churches, and there were probably 23 or 4 from Cross Point were able to sit up under his teaching. So that was just a, a great gift and, um, to think about that God had brought him this far, and now he is really teaching and instructing and training young men uh, and women to walk with the Lord and to be church planters as well. So... From Cross Point Church, I want to say that we love you and we're thankful that we are partners in the gospel and that we are able to serve the Lord together. And uh, God is good. And so I count it an honor and privilege, really humbled to stand before you this morning and to bring God's word. And I pray that you would be encouraged and strengthened. And if you're here today and you do not know the Lord, I pray that you would come to know him that the Lord would draw you to himself and that you would turn from your sins, turn to Jesus, our Savior, and he would rescue you and make you his very own. I know that we've here been in a, a series last week preaching on rest, and today is on the word contentment, being content. I have to confess that sometimes I do not operate in the realm of being content. A couple of weeks ago, Rob and I took our youth minister, really he's a family minister, Josh Jones and Ashley, out to eat. And we went to Calhoun Corners. Anybody ever eaten at Calhoun Corners? Raise your hand. Nobody? Okay. This illustration's not good. All right. <laughs> you need to come over to Tiger Town and go to Calhoun Corners. And so it's a nice restaurant. We had a gift certificate. That's the only reason we're going to eat there. And the only reason we're going to take somebody else out. We didn't love them that much. And so we picked them up, and we went there, and we looked at the menu. Great assortment of selections. Everything, really. If it's on the hoof or if it swims in the ocean or flies in the air, they cook it. And so... We ordered, and I ordered a pan-seared ribeye steak with a soy sauce kind of marinade. It was supposed to be thick cut. Baked potato, got a salad with blue cheese dressing. I know you're ready to eat, just hold on. And everybody else ordered, and Ashley ordered a flounder. No, she ordered trout, and it was stuffed with crab meat, and it had four large shrimp on top because I counted them. And so here I have before me a steak, and I'm cutting it and eating it, and I am 
not content. I was thinking, I wish I had what she had. In fact, toward the end of the meal, she didn't eat all of that, and I was frustrated. <laughs> I, I was thinking like, I hope she offers, I mean, I know we're in a nice place, but I'm from Pickens, South Carolina. You eat people's food off their other plates, you know? You just do that. You don't waste anything. And so I had to work through that. But you know what? It really was sinful. It was not being content with what I had, looking for something else. And really, to be content is one of the undervalued graces that we read in the Scriptures. And so today, I want to encourage us and challenge us to grow in the grace of contentment. To grow in the grace of contentment. And so let's look at this passage that I believe addresses it clearly and succinctly. And let's read the scriptures and then we will move through the text, hopefully in a quick fashion. And our hearts will be challenged and encouraged. Then we'll have a time of worship and response to God's word. Here Paul writes in Philippians 4, beginning with verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then here's verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Really, the book of Philippians, part of it is that it is a thank you letter. He is giving thanks for them. These partners in the gospel, like we're partners in the gospel, had supported Paul on his missionary journeys, and he's really writing giving thanks. Epaphroditus brought an offering to Paul while he's in prison to help meet his needs. And so he's saying thank you. That is a good quality for all of us when we receive a gift to say thank you. And so he responds and says, well, you had concern for me. You couldn't show it, but now here's this opportunity where you did show it. You sent Epaphroditus all the way from Philippi to Rome to give me this gift. Thank you so much. But in verses 11 through 13, Paul really emphasizes that he wasn't looking for the gift, that he had learned to live with the resources that he had whether it was a lot or it was zilch. He was confident in Christ and his strength that he could bear the situations that he would be in. So that's the context of where we picked up in verses 10 through 13. But I think before we go any further, we need to define the word content. What does it mean? I mean, we have our definition. Contentment means satisfied with what one has, not wanting more, satisfied with your steak, not wanting trout with crab and shrimp on top of it. Contentment. But the Greek word here, content, really is a compound word, and it can be translated this way, self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. Has a little bit of a pagan flair to it. Self-sufficient. Now the Stoics 
wanted to be self-sufficient. Stoics took this term and coined it to mean that I am independent of external circumstances. The Stoic doctrine was this, that man should be sufficient unto himself for all things and able by the power of his own will to resist the force of circumstances. That he's able to bear up under the load, he's, he's able to stiffen his lip and persevere through the situation that he is, the fate that he's in, that is going to depend upon his ability and no one else's. But the Christian, when we talk about self-sufficiency, and Paul took this term and Christianized it, is an attitude of mind independent on external, externals and dependent only on God. That Paul found his sufficiency in Christ, therefore he was independent of circumstances because he was dependent upon Christ. You see the difference? In a difficult spot, Stoics, I'm going to do it by my own strength and I'm going to persevere through it. Paul says, I know in my weakness I can't, but by Christ's strength and sufficiency, I'm going to make it through. One's depending upon self, the other is depending upon Christ. One is a sense of pride and maybe arrogance, I can do this. And another one is a sense of humility and dependency upon God. There's a vast difference. Do you need to grow in the grace of contentment? Would you be in this category that whatever comes my way and whatever difficulty I face, that I am going to go through it out of my own ability, my own resources, and my own wisdom? I want to tell you, you will fail or you'll become prideful and you'll miss the grace of God in your life. You won't be teachable. You will learn that I can do it instead of God can do it through you. But here is the place that we need to be, a place where God I can't. Even Paul says, I have learned the secret of contentment. What was that secret? Here it is. I can't. That's the secret. I can't do it on my own. We all must live a life of dependency upon the Lord. So when I ask this question and answer it from our text, how do you and I grow in the grace of contentment? How can we grow in the grace of of contentment, this undervalued grace in our society. Well, it's really simple. The first way that we can learn to grow in the grace of contentment is we have to understand that content, con, excuse me, contentment is learned. Contentment is learned, that we must be teachable. Look at verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned, underline that, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, to be content. Verse 12, I know, underline that, how to be brought low. And I know, underline that, how to be one who abounds. And in any and every situation, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. See that? Learned twice, know twice. Paul is driving home how he learned to be content and he's teaching us that same thing. Sinclair Ferguson, the great preacher that pastored down the church, the Presbyterian Church in Columbia for years and years and years, said it this way, very simple. We must discover contentment the old-fashioned way. We must learn it. We must learn it. Many times things are taught to us, but many things are caught as we observe those around us. So Paul learned through the school of hard knocks 
how to be a person who was content. He learned that this godly virtue came by submitting to the activity of God, knowing that God was sovereign over his life. That he knew, and we need to know, that God will use everything in our lives, whether it's abundance or whether it is having nothing, God will use that in our lives as he sanctifies us to help us grow in this area of being content. Psalms 119.91 says this, the very last of the verse, all things are your servant, Lord. Everything in your life, God can use it as his servant, whether good or bad. So where was Paul when he wrote this epistle? He was in prison. And God was using that prison to teach him contentment. That God was using the place that he was, not a good place, to teach him to be content with what he had and where God had allowed him to be. Look at his life. Let me just spend a moment. Let's look at his life because he's sharing this. We're going, okay, he's in jail. But was his life hard? Yes, you better believe it. We see a wide range of circumstances in the life of Paul. Look at verse 12 again. Here's kind of parallel statements. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every situation. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. So here are these extremes of life, and now he's in prison. Nobody was really giving him support, and the church at Philippi moved to the Lord, heard that he was there, sent Epaphroditus to meet needs in his life, physical needs, as well as Epaphroditus encouraging him in the Lord and giving a report about the church in Philippi. But Paul's life as a missionary was not one of luxury. It's not on the screen, but I want you to listen to some of the things that he went through because this makes the passage more powerful. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 27, Paul testifies, and he says that five times I was beaten by a whip, 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. One time I was stoned and left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. And even one night and day, 24 hours, I spent floating in the ocean. Think about that, 24 hours in the ocean, shriveled up, not knowing if he's going to make it. And then he goes on to say this. He says that I was in frequent dangers. He says danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at the sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. That was Paul's life. Sign me up. I want to be an apostle and a missionary. His life was one of difficulty. But the Lord used that. The Lord used the circumstances in his life to make him where he was flexible, that he was able to be content no matter where he found himself. Tempered still. Steel is tempered so that it moves from being brittle to being flexible. Now, how do they do that? 
they take a piece of metal and they heat it until it glows and then they plunge it into water they move it into water quenching it is what it's called and so they would heat it and then they would stick it in water and quench it and steam would be billowing out then they would heat it again and stick it in the water again and cool it down quickly and they would do it over and over and over and over until this piece of metal moved from being brittle to being flexible moved from being that which is so hard that it cannot bend and be used effectively to where it was something that was strong that would bend but not break and god used these extremes in paul's life to temper him and to bring about in him this knowledge and understanding and experience of contentment now what situation do you find yourself in right now that god wants to use in your life to temper you to move you from being brittle to being malleable to move you from Relying on your own energy and strength and wisdom to where now there's a sense of brokenness and God's turning up the heat and he's plunging you in the water and he's bringing you back up and he's making you more like Christ, the one who is more content than anybody that has ever lived. So what's in your life right now that you want to run from or you want to change, but God wants to use it for your good to make you useful for his kingdom and his work that he, would, that he would be teaching you contentment right where you are. So how do we learn this contentment? It's through the school of hard knocks. God uses everything as his servant, and he wants to teach us the grace of contentment. But why do we need to be taught that? Because contentment is contrary to our fallen nature. Go back to Genesis. Adam and Eve created by God to have a perfect relationship with him, placed in a perfect garden. God is the king, sovereign and ruler over their life, and they were to submit to him, and he would even walk with them in the cool of the evening. But you know what happened? Satan came and he beguiled them, he deceived them. He began to say that God's holding out on you. He began to say, yeah, you've got steak, but over here is some flounder. Did God really say that you couldn't eat of all the trees? Did, did he say not this one? And Eve got so confused and deceived that she led Adam, and Adam was in passive mode, let her eat of that fruit, really a disobedience to God, and it was at the root, the root of that, excuse me, was discontentment. They had God, but they wanted more. So it's the root of Really, our hearts, Proverbs 27, 20 says, death and destruction are never satisfied and neither are the eyes of man. It's a strong word. It is really an x-ray of our hearts that many times we are not satisfied with where God has us, what God has given to us. And we need to learn to be content by God's grace. Listen, covetousness breeds discontent. 
Covetousness, it says in Colossians 3, 5, is idolatry. And when we want something more than God, when there's the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, and we desire things more than we desire God, we fall in the same trap that Adam and Eve did. We want something more. We begin to worship that which we hold higher and cherish more than we do God Almighty. So being discontent, being a grumbler, being greedy, being covetousness is a deadly sin. Listen, the fallout from the fall was universal discontentment. I mean, you don't have to teach a kid this. You can open up a toy box and a kid will grab one toy and he'll go over there and play and another child will grab a toy and go over there and then one will look and say, I like yours better. And they'll go over there and they'll push him down and they'll take the toy. You don't have to teach those little sinners anything. It just comes natural. So we have to be taught to be content in Christ. We have to be taught that. And so, Paul says, the way that we're taught is that we're teachable in whatever situation we find ourselves in. God would use that to temper us and to work in our hearts so that we really would not covet anything or be greedy for anything, but that we would worship and we would cherish God more than anything. Contentment is learned. Welcome to the school of hard knocks. As soon as you leave here, there'll be some more teaching in your life. Yield to what God wants to do in your life. Second, contentment is experienced through Christ's strength. Contentment is experienced through Christ's strength. So not only do we need to be teachable, but we need to be utterly dependent upon Christ. Notice in verse 13 it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He says, I've learned the secret. I can't do it, but here's part of that secret as well, but I can do it with Christ's strength. Now listen, Paul didn't slip into some unguarded moment in which he was caught up in emotions. No, he really experienced this and proclaimed that it was Christ's strength in him that enabled him to be content even in a jail in Rome. Now we know that this is one of the most out-of-context verses <laughs> in the Scripture. In fact, your pastor wrote about that in his book on being um, a spy, on the book of Aspire. He, he says that this is misquoted, and it is. Good old Americanized Christianity has distorted it. It says that I can do it, my ambitions, my goals, what's before me, I can do it. I got an S on my shirt, but God's going to help me a little bit. In fact, if I do anything good, I'll give him the glory, but it's really me. That's how the world takes the verse. Now, here's really the emphasis of this verse. If you don't get anything else today, get this. This verse is less about what you can accomplish and more about what you can endure. This verse is more about not what you can accomplish, but what you can endure. This is the context that Paul is writing from. I'm enduring this, but I'm doing it with Christ's strength. So it could be after you get your blown up by a football team, like when Clemson lost to FSU, Brother Toby. He wore his FSU shirt today. I hit him on the chest, but it just bounced off. Now, I'm discontent. I am not wanting to be second 
in line. Okay, I want to surpass FSU. This is just a conversation, y'all. This, this is between he and I. Okay, there's a little loving tension here. But if you lose a game, this is really the verse you ought to quote. I can do all things through Christ because I lost. Now let's break this verse down. Let's do a little inductive Bible study here. Notice that it says, I can do, or it means I am able to do all things. That relates to verse 11, whatever situation, and verse 12, in any and every circumstance. So I can do all things, whatever I find myself in, by God's sovereignty and providential plan. He says, I can do all things through or by. It's a preposition of means. It means I am able because his strength is the impetus to help me be content in all circumstances. I can do all things through, not myself, not the stoic mindset, my ability, but I can do it through the enabling work and power of Christ by his Holy Spirit that indwells me. Who strengthens me, present tense, who continuously, continuously strengthens me. Look on the screen here. Weist gives a great translation of this verse. And he says, I am strong for all things in the one who constantly infuses strength in me. Do we don't have it? Okay. Let me say it again. I am strong for all things in the one who constantly infuses strength in me. Paul's life was a life marked by dependence upon Christ. He said in Ephesians 6.10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Colossians 1.11, he says, May we be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Paul lived with this infusing of Christ's power by the Spirit in his life. Listen, when Paul was most conscious of his own weaknesses and inadequacies, he became most aware of Christ's power resting on him. For when he was weak, then he was truly strong. You know this verse. Write it down, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10, and it says this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's a good place for an amen. amen. Christ's power. So how do we learn this grace of contentment? First of all, contentment is learned through the school of hard knots and experiences as we yield to God. Contentment is experienced through Christ's strength. There has to be an enablement and dependency upon him. And then third, godliness with contentment is great gain. You can't talk about contentment and not bring in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. The scripture says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. 
con uh, contentment and godliness are inextricably linked together. Paul here was addressing the pious creed and greed of the false teachers. They really believed that if you lived a godly life or you were spiritual, that there would be financial wealth. It's the prosperity gospel that we see today. You, you walk and you're spiritual, then the results of that spirituality will be a surplus of goods. Now let me just say it as a boy from Pickens, South Carolina. That teaching's from the pit of hell. That's not the truth. If that was true, then why in the world was Paul suffering the way that he did, taken even to the block and had his head chopped off? Godliness with contentment is great gain. So what does he mean, is great gain? Well, let's define the word godliness. It's a term that we throw around, and sometimes really the simple words that we use a lot really are the hardest to define, but this is how I define it. Godliness is living a life that reflects Christ. God-likeness, godliness. A life in conformity to Christ that brings glory to God. Living according to the word by the power of the Spirit for the glory of God. And Paul says, no, godliness does not give you great gain, but godliness with contentment, with whatever you have, is great gain. Contentment is not found in the accumulation of stuff. It is found through abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. Pursuing Him, worshiping Him, growing in godliness moves you to where you're kingdom-minded and gospel-focused and whatever you have is cool. It's like Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and what happens? And everything else will be added unto you. So it's the focus, the trajectory of your heart where you're focused. And here, Paul says, exercise yourself unto godliness is profitable for the life that now is and the life that now is to come. Give yourself to growing in godliness and let contentment be the companion and in that there is great gain. Elizabeth Elliot, great missionary, was married to Jim Elliot, passed away this past week. I mean, a saint of God. We're all saints. We're all set apart. But I want to tell you, a godly woman. Woman used mightily in the kingdom of God. I mean, husband's killed by the Alka Indians. She was married again, and he passed away. Married again, passed away. Deteriorating health these last years of her life. She had been through the extremes really, the streams of life. And this is what she said that I think fits the context of this contentment. Because a lot of times when we're in a situation, we want it to change. God changed this situation. But this is what she said. The answer to any situation is not me in different circumstances, but Christ in me right where I am. The answer to any situation, Paul would say this, is not me out of jail, but as I'm in jail, Christ in me, right where I am. Abiding in Christ, 
growing in godliness. You don't have to have a great atmosphere or a great location to, to grow in godliness. In fact, the valley and the prison and the dungeon is probably where the greatest growth happens in our lives. And so we must seize that moment and allow God to teach us contentment through the fire and the hard times. And we must abide in Christ. And so we grow in this grace of contentment because we pursue Christ. We depend upon his strength. We stand upon his promises. And the result is contentment. And notice he gives two logical reasons for pursuing this godliness and with contentment that is great gain. Because he said you brought nothing into the world and you cannot take anything out of the world. You were born with nothing, buck naked, and you'll leave. Maybe in a suit, but with no pockets in it, because you can't take anything with you. And then he says, but if, if you have food and clothing with these, you will be content. He just brings the reality. As one person said, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Let me just see. This life is short. It'll soon be past. Only what's done for Jesus will last. Help me see rightly this world. <clears throat> Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know how you make it through the difficult times and you learn contentment is that you depend upon the power of God and you stand on the promises of God's word. Even Paul said to them, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Lord, I have power. The Holy Spirit indwells me. Lord, I have your word and the promises. So wherever I am, your word that's hidden in my heart and your spirit that works in my heart to make that word real can bring transformation in my life. Oh, may we grow in contentment. Now, dads, since it's Father's Day, happy Father's Day. you have a great opportunity to model contentment before your wife and children and even grandchildren. We live in a world where there is discontent. Even this terminology of a man in his midlife crisis where he wants a new look, a new car, a new wife, and a new job is that he's not content with what he has and he thinks he's going to find happiness with something out there and he is mistaken. In fact, it'll bring devastation and so maybe, men, we need to be challenged today that there is a discontent in my growth and I want to be more like Christ and godly, but there needs to be a contentment that where you are and where God has placed you, that you serve him right there. And by his spirit and by his grace and by his promises, you rejoice in what you have and you use it for the glory of God. Contentment is learned. Contentment is experienced through Christ's strength. Godliness with contentment is great gain. But here's the fourth and final way that we can grow in the grace of contentment. Here it is. Really a statement of truth. The companions of contentment are joy, thankfulness, and generosity. The companions of contentment are joy, thankfulness, and generosity. Write that down. Now, I want to make this statement. These three are the fruit of contentment. 
as well as these three are the means to fight discontentment. Did you get that? It's almost like a double-edged sword. So when I am content in Christ, infused with his strength, understanding that God's at work teaching me to trust in him, to rely upon him, to grow in godliness, that this contentment is like a deep root so that when situations vary and escalate from extreme, one extreme to the other, that I am rooted, like when the wind blows a tree stays firm and connected because it has a deep root system. So this contentment is a, a root system, and the fruit of that root system is joy, thankfulness, and gratefulness or gratitude. Now, how is that? Because this root of contentment really is a liberator. It frees us up so that when we're content and we know what we have is from God, and we're satisfied with that because we're satisfied with Him, then we are freed up to have joy in all circumstances. That our joy is not dependent upon what we have or the perfect situation. Our joy is really centered upon Christ. Also, it frees us up to be thankful. We can be quick on the draw because we're thankful for what we have, even if it's not much. And we're thankful for that, and so we are quickly freed up to just give thanks for anything that comes our way. Are you and I thankful people? That that statement or that question is, if I am not thankful, it could be because there's not the root of contentment, but maybe discontentment. They're linked. So there's a root, contentment. It's a liberator so that there's joy, there's thankfulness, but also there's generosity. We move from being hoarders to where we are givers. Now, some of you know sign language. We have... Uh, um, a man named Alton in our church that teaches ASL across the state of South Carolina. He's a teacher at Clemson. I mean, he's, he's the guru. He's well-known. Grew up with two parents that were both deaf. And so we have a signing ministry in our church, and it's just awesome to see him over there when we're singing of just giving the sign language of the words that we're singing. But moms, you teach your little babies before they can talk. What is the sign for more? Everybody do it. It's this, I want more. I want more pudding. I want more processed peas. Or beets. I mean, some of the things those kids eat, no wonder they eat junk food afterwards. <laughs> I want more. And this is the bent of our hearts. I want more. I want more. What's the sign of giving? That's the sign of giving. So our bent is more, but really our heart, as we are rooted with contentment that is a liberator, it moves us from hoarding, saying, I want more, to where we're givers. How, how about the church at Cherrydale? How about Cross Point Church? How about Renewal? How about the church over there at Greer Station, David Isle, that I love and served with us at Cross Point years ago? What more could we do if we battled and took the sword of contentment and killed discontentment if we took joy and thankfulness and gratitude and we would slay this discontentment how much more could we give to the work and ministry 
that we have. Maybe the church doesn't have enough money. Maybe we don't meet the budget. It's not because we don't have it. It's because we're discontent, and we always want more, so we buy more things, and we don't work our budget to where we can tithe in a gracious way to the things of God, and so we must change. Contentment could be at the very root of why churches suffer financially. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, when we get more money and provided with more things, a lot of times we spend it on ourselves instead of thinking what we could do to give to the kingdom of God. Oh, I got a huge raise. I'm going to go buy a jet ski. Or it could be I have a huge raise and I'm going to support a G-linker for a year. Contentment will help us not be hoarders. I want more. It'll move us to be able to give. To be able to give. So is there joy? Is there thankfulness? Is there giving that characterizes your life? And if not, it could be because there is not a contentment in your heart with Christ and his sufficiency. Now we're going to have an opportunity to respond. We're going to sing several songs and worship the Lord, thinking about Christ who the one who emulated contentment, but the one who saves and one who changes us. And so there will be pastors at kind of the four corners of the church during the time of singing and reflection. And I encourage you to respond to that, to respond to that. I know next week you'll be talking about joy specifically. And so I want to just kind of end with this illustration. Sorry, I don't have a, a picture on the screen. But a gyroscope. Some of you already know what that is. Some, you don't have a clue. That's fine. But a gyroscope is a piece of wood or metal, a disc or wheel that spins on an axis. And when it's spinning, it's like a top that you used to play with. You pull the string and it would just spin. It would stay upright. You could move the bottom of the platform that it was on and it would stay upright. Gyroscopes are used in rockets to help them stay upright so they don't shoot up and then come down and fall in a city. Any way you change the container with this gyroscope in it, it will stay upright. You can turn it upside down, but it will stay right side up. And joy is like a gyroscope. When we have joy in our heart, when we're focused upon Christ, in fact, joy is one of the key words in the book of Philippians used 14 times that when we find our joy in Jesus, when, when we worship him and love him and adore him, we're, we're, our joy is like a gyroscope. So you can put us in prison or you can put us in the palace. You can put us when we have nothing or where we have an abundance. It doesn't matter because the joy that I have in the Lord and in the gospel and the purposes of his kingdom is my focus. It keeps me oriented and upright towards those things. So change my circumstances, but it will not change my heart. I will be content and I will follow the Lord through thick and thin. May God give us the grace of contentment here in the fellowship back in Clemson and everywhere else there are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you. As the band comes up, Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy in our life. Thank you for the example of Paul. Even more than that, the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. 
And I pray, Lord, that today we would respond and be obedient to your word. All of us need to grow in this grace. We could all say in minor ways and major ways, there's many times a discontentment. And so, Lord, we want to slay it with joy in you, thankfulness for your grace and all that you've given us. And that, Lord, we would even be radical and that which we don't give away, we would give away. That which we, we want to hold on to and hoard, we would give it away knowing that you would break that bondage and to set us free to walk with you. So, Lord, as we worship you and sing to you, Help us take this word to heart today, especially for me. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.